Faith and Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we are going to continue on our series with uh, parenting. Today we're going to talk about some of the basics of sound parenting, but before we do that, we're going to answer a few questions. We had checked our questions, the question form lately, and we are very pleased to see how many of you have turned in questions and we'll be trying to answer them. Some of you, it's like 30 questions. Uh, it's like, <laughs> wow. So we got a lot of them though. Yeah, yeah. So we're hoping to be of help there. Um, so we have a couple that are from Anonymous. So um, you want to take the first one and go and I'll just kind of tag sure. him off you yeah i can ask uh here's here's one that says taking into consideration the desire for consistency especially with younger children what is a good rule of thumb for if or when we should overlook sin while still acknowledging the sin and addressing the heart issue and showing grace as opposed to disciplining every time sounds like there's a few questions in there I yeah don't, there's I, some unspoken yeah. assumptions i think too I also don't understand the part. So let, let, let us say something, <laughs> unless you're going to say, should we allow our kids to watch, you know, pornography? Those are really easy ones. We don't have to read too much into that. Um, it A little bit more full explanation can sometimes be helpful so that we understand exactly where you're coming from. So hopefully we'll answer this, but we have to read a little bit into what you mean. Right, right. Um, so right here, it says, when should we overlook the sin while still acknowledging the sin? That's You can't, it's a contradiction. Right. You can't overlook the sin while still acknowledging the sin. I think and, what and they mean the is not discipline. Right, maybe sin, not do. But it's still sin and they're going to talk and they're going to address the heart issue. Yeah, you know, and show grace as opposed to discipline every time. I, I would say, I don't, I don't think it's wise to ever overlook the sin because God doesn't. Um. So even though he'll show grace, it doesn't make the sin go away, right? Necessarily. Um, so in I fact, think, that's it, interesting because a lot of people then say, "Yeah, but God doesn't discipline me every time I sin." And my question to them is, "How do you know He doesn't? Because what do you call a discipline of the Lord?" And I, I, I suspect that um, we oftentimes would only see the discipline because we're also assaulted with sickness or a loss of job or yeah. or something like that. But Part of a discipline is when something may that's good may be withheld from you. So yeah. how do you know something's being withheld from you? You don't. Uh, so there could be discipline there. Um, so as a general rule of thumb, part of this comes into play, I think, the age of the child. So when they're when they're young, little, I mean like one through five. I don't, I don't think you should ever let a sin go unchecked or be quick to show too much grace. Because we've talked often, the goal at that level, I mean, maybe ages one through three, the goal there is to get your child. I, I'd actually put it up to all the way up to five. If, if you're faithful with your disciplining, by five, you should be done with much of your disciplines. Yeah, yeah. Your physical disciplines. My, yeah, my point 
though, is, you know, age one through three, your goal, as we've talked often, is to get them to hear your voice. Right, 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 right. Um, because when they now turn four, and you should start this earlier, but at least when they turn three or four, now you're able most certainly to begin to speak into their heart. Um, but if you've never trained them to listen to your voice, how do you do that? So the, the goal of discipline in those early years that, um, you know, is, is to get them to just listen to you, to respond to you, to understand that you're the authority in their life. Um, so that now, again, when they're four, five, six, and they understand words and concepts and ideas, you can now speak into their heart and they're going to listen, hopefully. Um, so I don't think you should be quick to show grace, especially if they don't understand grace, <laughs> right? Yeah. And in fact, I would even argue that there's a, there's a fault that there's an inappropriate false distinction between grace and discipline because discipline is in fact grace. Right. And so Hebrews makes it clear, right, that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. That's grace. The fact that you don't receive discipline of the, from the Lord is actually evidence that you're not his child. Um, you're, you're an illegitimate child. Um, and that's re really strong language used there. So when w what they usually mean when they say show grace is that they're going to choose to not discipline, discipline right. that time. And I would agree when they're little, very little uh, overlooking or where you're going to withhold it. There, there might be a situation where you just need to, um, but that would be more the circumstances, like you're out in public yeah. um, or something where it's just not going to be, you're not going to be capable. But when they get home, <laughs> you should be pulling them aside and say, okay, we're going to talk now. Um, what you, how you acted at the grocery store throwing those cans was never right. right. That's disobedient, and they need discipline. I also, I had a question on this recently. Someone asked me about pra the practicality of disciplining their child, and the person used the language of, you know, is it ever okay? When should I punish them? When should I not? And I actually corrected the person. I said, don't use the language of punish. Um, that's not what you're doing. You're, the language is discipline. Um, and like, for instance, Hebrews, um, right. the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The idea there is instruction to bring a person back onto the path um, because they're wandering off the path. And so you're trying to get them back on. And so your, your discipline is just that. You're, you're trying to bring them back to that broad pathway. And there's an instruction inherent in it. Yeah, so you're, you're, the, the, the discipline is not the end in and of itself, as if, oh, if I bring corporal pain here, somehow that's going to fix the child. It's like, no, you're trying to bring them back onto the right pathway. And now it's going to give you the opportunity to be, begin to speak into their life um, because you've, you've brought that discipline. You've trained them, in other words, to, to hear your voice. Well, and, and also that there is a way that's painful. There's a way that hurts. There's a way that's not good to go. And when I go that way, I, I run into something. Yeah. Um, and in there, I think you're, I think a lot of parents are remembering maybe what happened in their life, uh, especially if they were raised in a non-Christian home um, where dad is just angry. He comes home, for, he's had a bad day, and so he just takes it out on the kids. And that's that punishment, that right. punitive. It's like, this isn't even fair. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm in trouble. Um, again, that's not what we mean by when we talk about discipline. Again, it needs to be for something that was wrong, something where the child was not in obedience, and 
they didn't respond in a way that's proper. And so they're going to receive a discipline as well as admonishment to now go pick up your toys. Uh, that's what you're to do. Or did you, mommy called you and you didn't come. Um, that's disobedience. And so you're going to receive a discipline. Um, we would be really reluctant to encourage you because of the nature of human I think you'll agree with me on this. Um, we don't practice beforehand these questions, so <laughs> you never know if we're, we'll be in full agreement with each other on something specific. But um, I have found, at least in my experience, that people are looking for a way not to discipline. It's not pleasant. Nobody likes doing it. The kid doesn't like getting it, and the parents usually don't like doing it. And so they start to say, well, we're going to show grace. And it becomes very easy to, quote, unquote, show grace when, in fact, it's not grace. You're just being lazy uh, or you're, you're tired of discipline or it's unpleasant or it's scary or it hurts your own you – know, emotionally it hurts to do it. And, and you're going to call it grace when, in fact, actually you're training your child that they can do yeah. wrong – and receive no consequences. Well, the the word taken into desire for consistency, that word consistency is important. Your child should not be expecting grace, as this question has yeah. defined it, meaning yeah. That's a not, good point. not receiving a discipline. It should utterly surprise them if you choose to withhold that discipline once. Because um, you are trying to teach them an aspect of, or a shade of what we mean by grace. Um, so they should always be expecting the discipline. That should be what's normal for them. Um, so just in broad terms, I would be very slow to ever not address the sin and not bring the discipline. I mean, that, that should almost be out of your mind. Especially realize that your child never stops getting older. Uh, I know that's obvious, but it seems to still shock parents when one day all of a sudden their kid hits puberty and they like, where where did 14 years go by? Um, and they're at that age where you really, a physical discipline is not right. going to work. Um, uh, and in, now it's done, you know, but you never taught them. To simply, like you said, hear the voice and obey. A parent should have the confidence that when they say to their child, come here, that the child comes immediately, not eventually. Uh, that you never allow your child to set the standards of uh, the ground rules. I'll come when I'm finished playing. I'll come when I'm ready. I'll come if I want to. Um, I'll come in a in a begrudging attitude. Those are not acceptable. The child never sets the ground rules yep. or expectations in a home. It's it's the father's home, and the parents set those standards, and then they expect the child to do it. And if you don't do that early on, then we're just telling you straight out, you'll yep. have heartache later on when you're now telling a child you need to be home by ten, and then you can't figure out why they're at home at 11. It's yeah. like... And I, I've never used disciplining as a threat um, or a way to motivate them to obey me. Yeah. So I, I've yeah, never yeah. said, do this, and if you don't, you're going to get a discipline. It's just, they know if they don't do it, they will get a discipline because, <laughs> because we've been so consistent with it. And so that I never want that to be the cause. I want them to obey because they realize that's where blessing is and there's goodness in obeying Mom and dad. Yes. Yeah. So do you think we answered that enough? 
Yeah. Okay. Another anonymous. Uh, it says, when a two-year-old child is told to do something, and the child responds with an excuse like, I can't, or, but mama said, even when she didn't really say, uh, should that be followed by a discipline because she argued about obeying, or should there be a prompt to say, remember to say yes, dad, or yes, mom, followed by the child obeying? Uh I would say yes. The, I mean, again, the way the question is phrased is it's in an either-or proposition. Um, first of all, I wouldn't discipline them because they argued about obeying. In this case, I'd discipline them for lying. Um, <laughs> it said, uh, you know, I can or but mama said, even when she didn't really say, that's just a lie. Yeah, that's right? that's an egregious, and lies terrible get sin. a harder, you know, a stronger discipline, yeah. Um, so, so you discipline them Sure. Yeah, I would discipline them for first of all and for, foremost for lying, but then second for not obeying right away. But then third, it's not or for me. It's a also that yeah, they every time should say yes, mom or yes, dad. So I would discipline for all those. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say the exact same thing. I for us in our home, it was all right. We we would discipline in the bathroom. That's just where we did it. Um, so I, we'd say go in the bathroom. And um, then I'd go in there and I say, "Did I tell you to do this?" And I there's only one acceptable answer, and it, it's yes, sir. <laughs> um, and I said, "Did you do it?" No. I said, "What's that called? Disobedience." And this is coming from a two year old's mouth, and they're already crying because they know it's coming. And then I say, "Okay, so I'm going to discipline." And I give them uh, a, a quick, simple discipline. Then they think they're done, but now I'm going to address a far more serious issue of not only that, but you lied, and you cannot lie. God hates a lying tongue, and you must speak the truth. And I'll even tell them, you will never get a worse discipline if you tell the truth, but you'll always get a harder discipline if you lie. You cannot lie. That is evil. And then I would discipline them again. And then comes the instruction. Mm -hmm. When dad calls you or when mom tells you not to do something, you obey. Do you understand me? And then there's even the more subtle aspect there of headship because um, our kids would at times try to play mom and dad against each other. Every kid does. And so if, if one of my kids would have said, but mommy told me, it's like, and I'm daddy. (laughs) <laughs> so my my I trump I trump that I I am the head of this home, and I am telling you to come here. You obey. You come up to me now. You can appeal, and we'll get into that. One of our podcasts will talk about the nature of appeals. But they're 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 allowed to appeal, but only after they have obeyed and come to me. And they'll say, "May I appeal, please?" Yes, mommy told me to finish the dishes. Okay go back and finish the dishes. Or I might overrule it and say, okay, I appreciate that, but I want you to go do this. They have to obey. It's, it's yeah. critical that that's the, that's the general thinking process, a very simple one. I, I ask a person, did your child obey? No. Then they need discipline. Or did your child show proper respect? No. Then they need discipline. Those are so simple. Yeah. And, and what we try to do is figure out, yeah, but what about this? What about that? The question is still, did they obey? They're a small child. They need to learn to obey. Um, and I mean, I, 
this won't convince anybody, but there comes a point where it becomes life-saving. You know, when you're seeing your child running in the front yard toward the street and there's a car coming, you need the confidence to know that you can say, stop, and that they'll stop. Um, but, you know, woe to the poor parent who has, quote-unquote, shown grace yeah. and watched their co- child now killed or injured because you've taught them that they can take that under advisement. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, and in all this, it, it might sound like all our home is is just one giant time of discipline, <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps it is early on, but it's 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 not when they when they learn these things and they get them, you know, down deep. Then your home generally is a happy home because it it's not one where you're con- they're consistently obeying or manipulating or whatever. It's 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 a it's a happy home, a joyful home, and they understand there's great blessing and obedience, and they want to obey, um, versus try to find a way that they can usurp mom and dad. Well, and and when you're little, let's be honest, the things they do wrong are minor. I mean, they, in in the scheme of things, it's not like they're murdering. Yeah. Um, they're just not putting their toys away. So the the issues are simple things, quick things that are addressed quickly. It's as you get older that their sins become far more subtle and complex. And that, again, if you can't get them under control early on, then you're dealing with those more complex. So you're not constantly disciplining a one-year-old or two-year-old um, because there's just a one-year-old or two-year-old. But they once once they understand the boundaries, you're right, a, a, they're a very happy child. It's, it, it's incredible how happy they are because they know the rules. They know, you know, this... If I live within this world, um, good things come. I get tickle fights and and I get dessert and I get hugs and love. And when I spit up Grammy, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to have a sore bottom. Um, that was not worth it. So, yeah. hope that helps. Yeah, I did really quickly. I'd also say, don't be quick to remove the opportunity to discipline. Yeah. Um, d- Either. Uh, so I, I just, last night, um, you know, Naomi is playing with something and Levi wanders on over and all of a sudden they're both wanting some toy. Yeah. And <laughs> that one toy now becomes all engrossing. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently I, I came down because I heard Naomi start kind of whining, screaming of stop it, get away. Because Levi's coming over trying to rip a toy out of her hand. And then at, right when I came down the steps, I see this thing go flying across the <laughs> room. <laughs> and he knows that that is absolutely a no. Um, so he he is going to get a discipline. And then Naomi feels like she's justified, right? But then she also knows there's an appropriate way to respond to when Levi is trying to rip a toy out of her hand and she didn't respond correctly. Um, she just screamed. So she also got a discipline, but for a different reason. After they both got their disciplines, I did not say, now you both sit in separate parts of the room and play with your own toys. It's, I want you to go and learn now how to interact with each other well and rightly. So I'm not, and then if they would have done it again, great. Now I have another opportunity (laughs) to discipline them. Because again, the idea of discipline is training, it's instruction. Right. They have to someday learn how to live together well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it can even be as simple as like a TV remote. We, We never kept that out of the children's reach. Instead, we just taught the children, that's a no-touch. And so there, we would watch them. You'd see them look at that remote, 
and when they're learning and they head on over to it and they're looking at you and you're pretending like you're not seeing them. And we literally wouldn't tell them, don't you touch that because we told you. We'd already told them. They know it's a no touch. So the moment they touch it, then they get a simple, quick discipline. And again, that's a no touch. And we would never remove those things because they have to learn to live in a world where there's all kinds of things that are tempting are not theirs to have, and therefore they have to learn to respect those boundaries. And what, what, where better to learn that than in the safety of a home where they're richly loved mm-hmm. and and delighted in, and they're not going to be treated like a dog, but rather they're going to be treated well. Uh, you compare that to the kids where anything they want, they they just take, and you hate having them over to your house because they're destructo beams, you know, because right. they they're just going to do what they want. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. Okay, so let's, with that, get into some basics of sound parenting. And as we continue to study on parenting, we may, and we recognize this, we may well be on our way to getting some people mad at us. And so, true to our form, we decided to go at it even harder today as a result. We don't want to be jerks. That's not our goal, and we're not trying to be jerks. But when the subject of parenting comes up, tensions will naturally rise up. There's a lot of opinions out there on how to raise a family, but the Bible is actually quite clear on it. And since it is God who established and defined and created the family, we need to learn to conform ourselves to his will and word rather than others. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago that we would define a family as three men called a thruple or, thru- yeah, I guess thruple, yeah. and, and, and they have some adopted kids as a family, or, or that our government would be mandating the use of puberty blockers and actual gender reassignment surgery to children. I mean, 10 years ago, nobody thought that. Uh, The debate on family, marriage, children has moved well past whether homosexuality is good and right. The public schools are actively and aggressively promoting everything but what is right. In fact, a few weeks ago, a principal in Ohio had the teachers make their students write to the city council in support of a new ordinance on sexual orientation and gender identity. We have the so-called Equality Act, which is filled with destructive ideologies that will endanger the very lives of people, and the citizens of America are just shrugging. In a recent poll, one in six young people currently identify as LGBT. We could go on. Uh, We're not going to, but you get the point. It's one thing, though, to see it in the broader culture. That's sad and wrong, but it's not shocking. Unbelievers will always gravitate further and further from what is right and God-honoring. But it is a whole different thing to see it in the church. And so right now, pastors are falling right and left due to sexual immorality. Pastors are apologizing for their stance on subjects such as gender identity, homosexuality, and marriage. And now we hear them say that you can be a faithful Christian and believe these things. This is never right, and it's deadly to the home. And in all of this turmoil and folly, any parent doing even a halfway decent job on parenting looks amazing. And this can cause them to think that there's no need to improve. We want to encourage people to drill down hard, though, and deep on what a godly household and family looks like. And that will be a bit painful for many, as they have heard countless mindless statements about children and parenting that seem nice, but are really just empty in the long run. So so what do we do? Well, 
the answer to that is simple. Uh, like all things in the Christian life, it is to repent and to go back to what does the Word of God say? That's, that's kind of simplistic, Matt. <laughs> well, I'm Come a on. simplistic man. Um, so start with the gospel, right? That's where everything always has to begin. And then from there to what the gospel now demands for those who claim to believe it. Um, and that is what we're trying to do in a small way uh, in this series on parenting. And we do hope that you're going to stay with us and that this will be a true help to you. Last episode was pretty brutal in some ways. It was the call to parents to teach their children to obey. And we would just say right now, if you've not heard that one, then you should stop listening to this one <laughs> and go and listen to that yeah, one first. Yeah, obey us. Because um, we're going to be building yes. here with each of these episodes. And so today we're going to deal with how parents can create real roadblocks to obedience and then how to counteract those roadblocks. Um, and so we're just going to get right into it. Some of this is a repetition from what was taught in the prior episodes. And this is simply because he, these are important points that need to be replowed into the minds of all of us. So roadblocks to having children obey. Um, we want to put this as bluntly as possible. Because <laughs> um, that's how we, <laughs> that's how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the roadblocks to having obedient children are not found in your children. Rather, they are found in you as the parent. Um, they are children, and so they need training and instruction. They need someone on their side wanting them to be able to grow up in a good and right manner. They need a mom or dad who lives out of strong biblical convictions. But too often, that is not what they get. Um, it may it may not be what you had growing up. Um, you love your mom and dad, but if, if you're honest, maybe you realize that they were lacking in certain ways. And so what you need to do now is stand up. Uh, don't shift the blame or responsibility on something else, but, but rather now get to work. And so let us describe in greater detail some common ways parents might be described. And we would just ask you to see if any of this might hit home. Um, first of all, you've got the selfish and the impatient parent, um, right? So this style of parenting dwells upon what they think should be the finished product um, in the child, but without ever considering the steps that are required to yeah, get there. Th they're whining, right? It's like, why aren't you? It's like, are you teaching them? Yeah. Show them, show them the grace to realize you were given a, a little baby. They're not, they're in the raw form in the sense, train them. Yeah, you got to shepherd that. So... This kind of parent, you, you'll often hear statements like, don't bother me, uh, or if they don't overtly say it, they're at least thinking it oh, yeah. and feeling it. Um, you know, why do you have to take up so much of my time? I don't see why I have to work all day and then come home and deal with you. Um, why do I have to put up with your problems all the time? So this parenting style assumes that the child doesn't need to be trained or that the training is the responsibility of others. And, and would you agree that those parents, given time, the kid figures out that they're seen as a burden. Absolutely. Right? And, yeah. and that's exactly opposite what we just tried to answer in those questions. Uh, uh, actually, a home of faithful discipline is actually a home where the child is incredibly loved and because he's a delight to be around because you're not whining and frustrated because he's not doing what he's doing and all you do is whine from the couch because you can't hear your football game. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Um, but, but a child that knows that they're not loved um, is a very sad child. And, and, the, and the root of that is selfishness. 
on behalf of the parent. Yes. And so, again, we're, we're really going to put this on you, the parent. The next uh, roadblock would be the type of parent who's not the pleading parent. Uh, so this is a parent who is intimidated by the child or simply unwilling to exert the proper, proper authority in the parent-child relationship. So you'll hear them say things like, please don't make mommy have to spank you. Uh, another method in this style is counting out loud to the child after having already told them not to do something. What you're really merely trying to do is get the child to do something without any effort on your end. The next one would be the manipulative parent where they use guilt or threats, but they're actually usually empty threats. If you don't stop, you can't watch TV for a month like that's going to happen because usually that same parent is using the TV to keep their kid distracted so they can go clean the house. Or don't you know what you're doing to me? These are all just pure manipulations, and they're actually a roadblock to good parenting. Yeah, another one is the passive parent. Um, And this one is common in our country. At the heart of this one is uh, just that issue of laziness or simple folly. So this parent comes in many different styles. So <laughs> you've got the sire, right? So this is the the kind who sits on the couch uh, before a TV or something and constantly sighs and groans about he or she has such a burden due to this child. Uh, you've got the defender. Uh, this is the kind who always offers a defense for any wrong behavior done by their child. Um, just providing those excuses. You've got the promiser. This is the kind who is always planning to do something with the child, but never quite does it. Um, and then you've got the comparer. Uh, this is the kind who's always looking at other children who have done wrong, uh, but so as to compare and ultimately justify the behavior of their own child. Um, so you'll hear common statements. And again, if they don't say them out loud, they'll at least think it. Um, it's, oh, I am worried that he will... or sh- I'm not worried because he or she will grow out of it. Um, or my child would not do that. Or <laughs> Even though they just did it. <laughs> yeah, and now someone's telling them that and they just don't believe it. Um, or, hey, relax, don't you just realize that he's just a kid? Um, yeah, so shepherd it. Uh, I just can't believe that he can learn that when he is so young, right? Um, or, well, you have to understand that our little boy is just a strong-willed child. Uh or I didn't turn out so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, actually, as your pastor, let me tell you, <laughs> we're still trying to get you to obey certain things. <laughs> yeah. Or you'll hear, boy, I just don't know what I'm going to do with that 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 child or that boy. Um, or I just don't want to push him too hard. You know, and then they're, they're the, there's just that excuse. They're making. just excuses. Yeah. So this type of parenting also often views the ultimate responsibility to lie somewhere else. And I think that's truly what's at the issue here. So they're always looking to either the daycare or the school or the church, some other realm or area where they feel like the responsibility yep. to raise their child is there. Yeah. Uh, everyone wants children. They just don't want the task of parenting. Uh, I mean, who doesn't like a cute little baby when they're not crying and fussy and keeping you up at night? But um, it's hard work and you, you, you can't be a passive parent. But you also can't be the next one, which is the domineering parent. So this is the parent who is unwilling to let the child ever grow and learn through their mistakes. Uh, So this can manifest itself in perfectionism, where the parent is always saying, you don't know how to do it, so let me do it. And so the kid never gets the chance to break a dish. They're going to break dishes washing them. They're going to 
burn the food learning to cook. They're going to scorch a fabric learning to iron. I mean, it's just, I remember the first time I was allowed to mow the lawn. I was like five. My big brothers were responsible, but it looked fun. And so I made the mistake of asking my big brother, hey, could I push it? He's like, sure. And somehow it became now my job at five. (laughs) (laughs) And I got, uh, my dad was actually very kind. He came out and he saw me mow the whole backyard and I was showing it off. And he he told me I did a good job. And I remember later on, my brother Bob had to go remow it. And it never clicked with me. But I now, as an adult, I realize I must have done an atrocious <laughs> job. But I was a five-year-old mowing. And he was actually proud of me for you know, doing that. How many parents will freak out because the kid missed an entire patch of the lawn, but he's never mowed before. It's like, He's got to learn. You can't dominate everything. Mm-hmm. You also see a domineering parent uh, through vicarious living what, where you hear them say, well, I want Johnny to have opportunities I never had, or you stick them in beauty pageants for children or sports and competition or, or push them to a, a certain school or military service. But they have, the kid really doesn't want to do those things, but dad is going to live vicariously through it, by golly, if it kills the kid. Uh, then you have the overprotective parent. Uh, this is seen in not letting the child ever take risks. I think that, yeah, they call them helicopter parents nowadays. Uh, it's the parent who does not allow the child to learn how to think for themselves. Um, and so they're always protecting their children from ever growing into an adult. Yeah. Now, every one of those parenting styles are usually affected by at least one of four influences. So first of all, it could just be family background. Um, my mom did it, so it can't be that bad. My parents raised 12 kids. Are you telling me that they didn't know what they were doing? Things like that. Um, you've got second. By the way, if you have a faithful pastor, don't ask that question if you don't want the answer. Because <laughs> 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 you actually might have the pastor looking and say, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> um, so, so it could be family background. Another one is laziness or just poor priorities. So I don't have that kind of time. Or, well, he is, he is just a child. Kids make noise and everyone else just needs to deal with it. Um, no, they don't. <laughs> no. Uh, or, but I was on the phone. What did you expect from me? Uh, just, you know, put, put him on hold while I discipline him. Um, we would say, yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, third one might be psychology. You know, haven't you read all those studies on spanking? Or if you're a negative, um, you're going to hurt that child's self-esteem. Uh, or we believe in a nurturing environment for our children, which is just a false definition of nurturing. But yeah. um, Or we're big believers in a, quote, grace-based approach to parenting. Uh, and then a fourth one would just be peer pressure. So none of my kids or none of my friends believe in doing it that way, and their kids seem to be okay, or I'm afraid that someone's going to report me. Those are all real common ones. Yeah. And again, one of those, at least, is usually found as helping provoke that kind of various kinds of parenting. So did any of them sound familiar to you? Um, every one of them are simply a way that results in not expecting your child to obey. And that's what we're trying to get at. When this happens, then you need to understand that you, you, the parent, are sinning, and you, the parent, need to repent. This is not some optional idea that you get to choose to do or not. It's a command. I think that's what's getting missed in this whole thing 
with a lot of people is it's a command from the Lord that your children obey and you raise them a certain way. He expects you to obey. And so if you choose to willfully refuse to do this, you should not expect good things as a result because God is not mocked. And as the Bible says, you do reap what you sow. So how do you begin to undo these tendencies and actions? Well, you do it by promoting a biblical vision of the key relationships that we all have in one way or the other. So let's just quickly talk about the relationships within the family. You have the personal relationship, right, with God. Both the husband and wife need to cultivate their walk with the Lord. So if you're passive or inconsistent with this supreme relationship, then it's going to show itself in all other areas of your life, including the children. The ones who tend to be harshest on themselves are actually the ones who tend to do this better than they realize. They have tender consciences, and they're aware of their ability to not be faithful. But if you think you have this all together, if you, you think, yeah, I've got the, I got this personal relationship before God down, we can only say that you should be very careful because a stumbling block is but one step away. Uh, so Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And any true believer is going to say, I don't, right? I just don't. I, I can constantly grow there. And so the wise parent is one who's first and foremost promoting and pursuing that relationship with God first. The Westminster Catechism says this for their first question and answer. What is the chief end of man? And it's to love God and enjoy him forever. God wants us to be enthralled with his person and his glory, and we're to find our greatest joy in him alone. This is our first duty as humans, and it takes work. You also need to be committed to the word, Proverbs 21, I'm sorry, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, uh, it says, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now, the assumption in that. Uh, is that your words and your wisdom are something worth remembering, um, that they will direct the child to the Lord. Along with that, then, you should be committed to prayer, such as Colossians 4.2. Devote yourself to prayer. Keep on alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And then also, you must be committed to action. James 1.22, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Or Matthew 7.21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the next key relationship then is the marital relationship, and this is the central relationship that occurs between people. So when God created Adam, he also said that it's not good for him to be alone. We see that in Genesis 2.18. Uh, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make him a helper suitable for him. And as a result, he made Eve now to be his wife. And note that this is the relationship that was the first and primary relationship ever created by God. Uh, note also that it was sufficient. Uh, everything he says is very good. So he did not make some children to sort of finish the picture. So the strength of the children um, will be linked to the strength of the marriage. Um, 
jealously guard your marital relationship, therefore. Do not let the children displace the preeminence of your spouse. And this brings challenges to the single parent uh, or the blended family or, you know, if you have parents who are unequally yoked. But in each of those situations, you're still expected to model and teach and lead the child in the way of Christ. Never forget that even Timothy was one of those. Yeah. Um, Remember also the flow of authority in a typical relationship uh, or in a typical family. You've got God, then to the father, husband, to the wife, and then to the children. So there's a flow there. Uh, In an unequally yoked family, you still must obey the commands of the Lord. And so with blended homes, recognize that there's going to be conflicting flows of authority and trust in God in that whole messy process. In the single parent home, you are now the head of your home, whether you're, you're male or female. So even if you're, you're, you're a female and there's no husband there, uh, you're now that spiritual head. Uh, we'd also say fathers must grasp that incredible responsibility that they possess. Um, the husband or the father is one who's going to set the entire tone for that home. And so whether he desires to be that or not, the scripture ultimately holds him responsible for all that occurs in that home. And so the husband must learn to develop a godly jealousy regarding his wife and his household. Um, so here are some interesting statistics. Um, we can't remember where we got this data. But if your parents worshipped with you regularly while you were growing up, uh, statistically, chances are 80% um, that you will worship regularly as well as an adult. If, if only your mother regularly worshipped with you, chances are now only 30% will worship regularly as adult. That's a huge yeah. difference there, 80% to 30%. However, if your father worshipped regularly with you, chances are... Uh, 70% will worship regularly as an adult. Um, that's just interesting. So if you yep. have both parents, 80%, just mom, 30%, just dad, 70%. Yeah, the, the influence, people really down, I mean, in our society, we have so downplayed the role of the man. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I mean, it's it's evil what has happened. And so men have learned to take a passive role and where the Bible says you are to take the active role of leading in every way. Mm-hmm. So we would say too many homes are unable to properly approach child rearing simply because the roles have been reversed or they're just non-existent. God has built in natural consequences to all sinful behavior. And so we would say the family unit certainly is not exempt. All right. Then there's the subject of the children's relationships. They have their relationship with the Lord with regard to the word, prayer, doing the word, in other words, obedience. Um, People say, well, what if they're not a Christian? It doesn't matter. You're in a Christian home. You're expected to memorize a word for Sunday school. You're expected to be part of the prayer. Uh, I mean, they you ask your child to pray before the meal or, some, or pray before nighttime. That's just part of living in a Christian home. Uh, you expect them to do what the word says. Um, it doesn't matter uh, if they claim, well, I'm not Christian, um, even though a two-year-old would never say it that way. Uh, also remember that they have a relationship with the parents. So in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For it's right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Why? So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. 
the children need to see your walk with God. They need to watch you pray, watch you confess sin, repent, obey, and most importantly, they need to watch watch you worship and enjoy God. Then there's this relationship with each other. Uh, we have a few verses that we're going to quote. What we want you to realize is that, that these should all be practiced and taught in your home. Your children should be well acquainted with them and any other passage. So if you're a Christian, you are to raise your children in a Christian, meaning a biblical, home. So Romans 12, uh, 9 through 10, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Man, I can remember Kim quoting passages like this to our children when they were young. It's just like, you are to show preference. It's not always your way is what matters. You know, you need to genuinely love your little brother, even though he's being a pain. You know, it's just what a home should be if it's a Christian home. Or in Romans 13, 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Um, one of the things we did that that with our children, I remember our two oldest, they developed a lifelong friends. Uh, uh, family came from Germany to go to seminary, and their children couldn't speak any English. And they put them in the Christian school uh, at our church, and they dressed differently, and they, of course, spoke German only. And so they were not liked. And I remember my oldest, Nicole, came home one day because they, they, we were having them in the school that year. And she talked about, yeah, there's these two girls and they're really weird. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean they're weird? Well, they can't even talk, speak in English. So my command to her and Becca was, you will become their friend and you will do it starting tomorrow. Do you understand me? And they're like, but because nobody wanted to be nice to the girls. I said, you will be their friend. Do you understand me? I want you to eat your lunch with them. I want you to show them how to play the games. You be their friend. And it was this thing. You are to love them. You are to show them love. You would hate it if you were treated that way. You will be kind to them. Turns out that they became now lifelong friends. They still interact with each other. It's just, it was really precious. But why? Because they, they chose not to go with the crowd, but they had to go and, and learn love. Uh, Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So as a parent, you want to seek to build genuine relationships between the children. You don't pit them against each other or against your spouse. So a home and a family is where forgiveness is learned, or a servant's heart is modeled, or a love of true justice is seen, where truth becomes delighted in, and where kindness to one another abounds. That's a good home. That's a, that's a wonderful home um, to live in. Yeah. Then there's the family's relationship to the church. So, first of all, the parents' relationship to the church. Church is more than just something that you do. Uh, for the believer, church is something that you're part of. Um, therefore, it's important that you're intimately connected to a local body of believers. You're not meant to be apart from them. Uh, in fact, the relationship is stronger than the family relationship. So there, there's a critical distinction between programs or activities of the church and then the church itself. So the church is actually not the building, we know this, but, but rather it's the body of Christ in believers. It's the people. Uh, therefore, do not feel the need to be locked 
into everything a church offers, uh, like programs and these sorts of things. But don't allow yourself to retreat from the fellowship and the life of the body in an effort to be a good mother or father. It, it, that would be sort of like a contradiction, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, we would say be involved in ministry. Seek to minister to other saints and do it with and around your children. Let them see the life that comes with being in Christ. Remember that not everyone in a church is going to carry your convictions. Uh, that is impossible to accomplish, and it's even unhealthy. Um, learn to be patient with others, show grace, and support those who are in leadership. Um, so, for example, Sunday school teachers, uh, they have a class to run, and so you need to train your children to obey and respect that teacher. Yeah, nothing I – get, I get very frustrated, and I've had talks with the parents when a Sunday school teacher comes and says, you know, so-and-so keeps acting up, and I've talked to the parents, and they, they became very angry with me. I, I have to go find that teacher or that, that parent. It's like, no, no, you, you, you've got things backwards. Um, that Sunday school doesn't exist so that your child can do what he wants. That child is to go in there and show great honor and respect to their teacher. And if not, they should be dealing with mom and dad in a very unpleasant way um, yeah. as a result. Yeah. Um, I would just throw in there, there, there'd be an exception, though, if, let's say, they're unbelievers who are coming to yes. visit the church and their children are uncontrolled or something like that. That's where, actually, you can show grace, and that would be a wonderful testimony. That's a, that's a good point. I, I, I'm making the assumption of these are members and stuff. You're right. Because yeah. uh, we, we also will poll Sunday school teachers <laughs> who are like, this child, and I'm like, their mom and dad don't know Christ. They've been invited to the church. Let's show them a lot of kindness. They don't even know what any of this is. And once they get that through their head, then that, then there's a lot of grace. Yeah. You're right. That's a, that's a good caveat. Um, so Sunday school would be one. Uh, nursery workers would be another. Um, please understand that the nursery workers are not your servants. Uh, they cannot and should not have to try and keep each individual parent happy in their personal wishes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then most definitely also, of course, the, the elders and pastors should be respected and obeyed. And that's going to begin by being modeled from you. Um, so the, so that's the parents' relationship to the church. But then you have the children's relationship to the church. We would say do not protect your children to the point that they do not participate in the life of the church. Um, I see that with singing or standing when the church stands to hear the word of God read or something like that. Um, I, 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 one of my granddaughters, we had our granddaughter sit or sitting with us before service. In our service, we sing and then the sermon in yours, the exact opposite. But I walked up because I was late in getting in there, taking care of some stuff. And there's my wife and our three granddaughters. And one of them was lounging on the chair. And I lightly tapped her on the back of her head. And I said, stand up. And she looked at me. I said, now. <laughs> she stood up. She realized Grandpa was serious. I'm like, no. We stand when we sing and and that you take part in it. It, it sounds silly, but it's like, boy, if you're going to allow that at two or three or four, you're going to have a horrible time when they're a teenager. It's just simple. You expect them to sing. You expect them to be part of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'd also say Christ has made it clear that little children are precious to him. Uh, and so we need to make it obvious that they're precious to us as believers as well. Um, they're not, you know, 
second place in the yeah, church. Yeah, the church. In fact, again, that's something I do as a pastor. I spend a lot of time squatting down to get in their eye level and ch chatting with them and teasing them and joking with them because I don't want the children to look at me as like I'm some holy man or something. I'm just a human. And I want them to see pastor as accessible because I'm enough of an intimidating personality. But it's good when the church treats children as a precious commodity rather than a burden to be born. Yeah, and, and part of the body, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're already feeling separated in Sunday school when we're doing, you know, the sermon. So at, at our church, for example, we, we have our new building, and we start with preaching. And then when the preaching's done, the children all come in uh, and then sing because that's when we sing when we met in the movie theater they'd all come in they we made space for them they're right in the front row there well with the new building um it's different they come in from the back yeah and so the original thought was we have this old choir loft on the side and it's separated kind of from the rest of the chapel area and so the thought was oh well, when the children come in they could just file in and be a great place for them and i i immediately rejected that because I don't want them to feel like they're not part of the body. When they right. sing, they should sing with us. When we do Lord's Supper, they do Lord's Supper with us. And so it's important that they don't get the idea that we're just the kids here, we're separate, and that's the real church. Yeah. That's the adult thing. Um, and so I think it's important we're sensitive to that. And then last, teach them, however, that the church does not exist for them. <laughs> they, <laughs> on the other side of the spectrum, we don't cater to them either. Um, we treat them like everybody else. All right, so what we're arguing for here is a better approach. There is a Chinese proverb that says, one generation plants the trees and the next generation gets the shade. That's kind of a good one. Uh, our society has been planting scrub brush, frankly, for generations. Uh, perhaps some of you have enjoyed the shade of godly parents, but others of you have only seen but the smallest of shade. But each of you must ask yourself, what am I planting? The Bible tells us that children are a blessing and that they are a gift from God, and yet many parents wonder exactly how they could ever consider their children truly a blessing. And our question to you is why? Why do you see your children that way? We would say it's because you have abandoned God's way and you've fallen in love with the pursuits of this world, of leisure, of sports, of money, or career, or simple uh, comfort. Um, living in the now rather than with eternity in the forefront. Colossians 3.1 says, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. It's important to understand that having several children or only a few has no actual bearing upon your spirituality, nor do children necessarily become the true blessing. When children are brought up in the ways of God and they grow up to follow Christ, the blessing they bring to the parents is beyond comprehension. Uh, when children are trained to be disobedient and lovers of self and true uh, and unruly, what they end up becoming is merely a burden and a source of grief. So Proverbs 10.1 says that a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. It is here then we, we must remember the gospel, that in Jesus Christ we do have forgiveness of sin, but also in Jesus Christ we have the power of sin broken so that we no longer need to serve it. We learn to put off the things that belong to this age and put on the thinking and living that belongs to followers of Jesus Christ our Lord. So give some time to think about what drives you each day with regard to parenting. What do you need to repent of? 
uh, what way what way are you misunderstanding your role? And if your grandparents, what is your strategy to aid your children in their parenting? What needs to be repaired, perhaps, in your relationship with your your own children? If you're single, are you considering your responsibility to store up wisdom for that day, perhaps, that you have children? Well, regardless, we hope that you were helped with the episode. Uh, please share it with others if you don't mind. We have plenty of other episodes in the making. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. If you have any questions on the subject of parenting, do drop us a note. Uh, the link is right there. If you go to faithfable.com, it's a pop-up, and you can click on it, and it will take you right to the question page. Uh, don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. <music>